The Gist is brought to you by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, January 12th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Tonight, President Obama gives his last State of the Union speech in it. He'll certainly note that the unemployment rate is down below 5%. It was 8% when he took over. And in many ways, our economy is bouncing back, even though trouble abounds in the world. Our wars are winding down, too. Consider, last year, 22 Americans died in Afghanistan. Tragic, but it is less than one hundredth of the total number of American lives lost in Afghanistan. Iraq, last year, six Americans died. Iraq is a lawless place, still too lawless in large parts of it. But that's six Americans compared to the nearly 4,500 Americans who have died there since the toppling of Saddam Hussein. So remember that as we talk about how scary ISIS is and the 14 dead in San Bernardino, or the shot Philadelphia cop. Yeah, it's scary, but the cost of complete eradication, the cost of avoiding dozens of U.S. domestic victims might be thousands of American lives lost abroad. So for all these reasons and more, Obama will most certainly say, as he did last year, a variation on the old saw. It is you, our citizens, who make the state of our union strong. The state of the union is strong. State of union is usually said to be strong after a president's been in office for a couple of years, especially because then it's on his watch that it either got strong or weak. Bill Clinton said strong. Reagan always said strong. Jimmy Carter said the state of the union was sound a couple times. And then in his last state of the union, he said this. As we meet tonight, it has never been more clear that the state of our union depends on the state of the world. And tonight, as throughout our own generation, freedom and peace in the world depend on the state of our union. What is that, a Zen cone? The egg of the union is chicken, but the chicken of the union is egg. But crazier than Carter, and this is remarkable and I didn't realize it until I read Jacob Weisberg's new book on Ronald Reagan, Gerald Ford would routinely shit all over the state of the union. The 70s were such a bummer. One year he just got up there and said, yeah, it's not good. I've looked. It's not doing well. And then the next year he got up there, and this was his update. Just a year ago, I reported that the State of the Union was not good. Tonight, I report that the State of our Union is better. In many ways, a lot better. But still not good enough. And then you hear that last guy clapping because he heard better and he didn't hear the part where he said, yeah, but not good enough. And that guy's like, woo, yeah, what? Not good enough. Oh, no. Don't show me on TV. Don't show. I'm now unelectable. Oh, damn. And that man's name was Kika de la Garza. It might have been. Who knows? On the show today, a spiel that will make you billions. My Powerball picks advice to you for free. Just remember me when you make your billions. But remember that Jimmy Carter quote I just laid on you? Did it strike you as being, I don't know, pseudo-profound bullshit? Well, that's because you might have a bullshit detector, but not everyone does. So we talked to a professor who investigated how one acquires a detector for pseudo-profound bullshit. (laughs) 
bullshit. It penetrates and surrounds us. When Jon Stewart left The Daily Show, he left with a warning. Don't forget about the bullshit on a fairly popular podcast. They take claims of scientific accuracy and put it to the is that bullshit test. That podcast is my own. And in fact, a treatise on bullshit was the must-have handbook of a few years back by a philosopher. But has it really been tested in the scientific context? Now it has. Gordon Pennycook is a PhD student at the University of Waterloo. He is one of the authors of, oh yeah, this is the, uh, this is the scientific study of the year, on the reception and detection of pseudo-profound bullshit. Hello, Gord. Hi. So there are a lot of different kinds of bullshit. And as you note, the dictionary definition doesn't really lend much clarity. You know, Oxford just says it's rubbish or nonsense, which isn't true, as you demonstrate by taking a bullshit claim and mixing up the words. So it really is nonsense. But no one would say that's bullshit. They'd say that's just nonsense. So what was your working definition of bullshit going into these studies? Well, we used uh, the definition from a philosopher named Harry Frankfurt. Yes, he was the one who wrote the On Bullshit book, which I have in several forms. Yeah, yeah, and it's easy to get online, actually. It's very short. It's a very fun read, so I suggest people read it. So basically, he defines it as something uh, that is constructed without any concern for the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's different from lying, because lying, of course, is very concerned with the truth. The liar is concerned about, you know, subverting the truth. And you can't lie without thinking that you know what the truth is. Uh, but bullshit, uh, it doesn't matter what you think. You don't have to know if you think you know the truth or not, or you don't care if you're saying something that's true or false. All you care is about is that people are listening to you. It seems to me there are many different flavors of bullshit. I buy that definition, but there's the bullshit a car dealer will tell you. There's the bullshit a vice president might tell you to get you into a war. There's the bullshit you might tell a spouse to get out of trouble. But you concentrated on pseudo-profound bullshit. First define it and then tell me why that type of bullshit wafted most pungently towards your nose. Well, we wanted something that was so blatant. Uh, that was so clearly bullshit that we wouldn't be hassled by people saying, well, how can you be sure that it's bullshit or not? Right. So if you took a claim about the presence of yellow cake, there's someone out there who's going to defend it or say why you're wrong, but you really just took Deepak Chopra-esque, or in some cases, literally Deepak Chopra sayings, where, where the words fit grammatically, but they couldn't possibly mean anything. Could you give me an example of one of these sentences? Uh, wholeness quiets infinite phenomena. Oh, that is true. That's also an excellent Wilco album. But where <laughs> did you generate it yourself, or how did you come up with uh, these different examples of pseudo-profound bullshit? Uh, we used two websites. Uh, the first one is called wisdomofchopra.com, and what that does is it takes actual buzzwords from Deepak Chopra's uh, Twitter feed, and it uses an algorithm using those buzzwords, and they just, it just randomly puts words into the, in, to create a sentence. I love it. And it's cheaper than buying a Deepak Chopra book and just as meaningful. Yeah. yeah. And you can, on the website, actually, you can go through and then you can do a test to see if you can distinguish Deepak Chopra's actual tweets from the ones that are from the website. Right. And it's not as uh, easy as it should be, definitely. <laughs> right. Another example of this in the paper is hidden meaning transforms unparalleled abstract beauty. Ah, wait a minute. Don't think too hard because it's bullshit. But the people you presented it to didn't always know it was bullshit. In fact, what you find, they actually thought it was more profound than, you know, randomly would have been suggested, right? So we gave across the different studies, there's, we gave people different numbers of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them came from another website also. It's called the New Age Bullshit Generator, so mm-hmm. people can check that out too. Um, basically, 98% of the people 
gave at least one rating that was greater than the lowest possible for at least one item. So in other words, uh, everybody, uh, when given these items, like a bunch of them, at least 10, said that at least one of them was at least somewhat profound, right? Yeah. So everybody, no one is so, as, as good a bullshit detector as we would want to be. Do you remember which statement was regarded as most profound, which of these bullshit statements? Actually, that uh, abstract beauty one that you said? Yeah. Uh, that one is rated one is one of the highest. And Another one from the New Age bullshit area was, was something like, consciousness is the growth of coherence and of us, or something. Now, do you hate Zen cones? Zen cones? What's that? Like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? These, oh. contempl- <laughs> these contemplative statements that are supposed to take us to some area of different consciousness? I don't take any issue with when people find things to be profound and interesting, um, but I think a lot of it is smelling your own ass. <laughs> Which, if you are bovine, would almost literally lead to a, your bullshit detector going yeah, off. Yeah, but yeah. It's like, I mean, it's, 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 the idea is that, I mean, you, you're the one that's creating the meaning there, and then you're imparting it onto the the item or the stimulus or whatever. Yes. Um, and then you're giving it credit, but it's really you that's just inventing it. So, I mean, the only kind of profound thing that's in that is our ability to create something out of nothing. You know what I mean? Got it. But as far as you found, the inability to detect bullshit, the people with the most broken bullshit detectors in rank order are one, uh, the religious, they're the worst, two, the people who believe in auras, they're in the middle, and three, People who believe the Trilateral Commission is behind everything. They have, compared to the other <laughs> groups, of, yeah. the best bullshit detection. Yeah, it's sort, sort of. It's like we, although we didn't do the statistical tests to, like, you know, see what the actual ranking is or whatever, but just generally speaking, based on my remembering the data, that's more or less right. Might a different kind of bullshit, other than pseudoscientific bullshit, be harder to detect for some people? I'm just thinking about the the conspiracy theorists, right? It doesn't surprise me that of those groups, the conspiracy theorists are the best at detecting bullshit, because it's not vagueness that really lights their fires. In fact, it's like crazy hyper-specificity that, in many cases, get, get your conspiracy theorists going, right? Kennedy assassination, truthers, here's the degrees it takes to melt steel in the Twin Towers, all that stuff. Maybe that's not their type of bullshit that they're susceptible to. Maybe some other type of, you know, crazy pseudoscientific bullshit is the stuff they're susceptible to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good point. The, the thing that's interesting about conspiracy theories is that they're often very elaborate. And you can't develop an elaborate theory without having to draw some connections between things. And really what it is is that it's more related to motivated reasoning than a lack of reasoning. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, you aren't thinking in a critical way. You're not, like, questioning your own beliefs, but you are still thinking about things and then drawing more and more connections. And then suddenly you have this very elaborate uh, scheme, and because of it's so elaborate, it seems like it must be right. Yeah, that seems to make sense to me. Well, congratulations on pretty much establishing this field. I know you don't invite the title, but I'm going to call you the uh, the chief bullshit detector. I'm going to call you Professor Bullshit. <laughs> You're not a professor professor yet. You're a PhD student. But is it okay. all right if I call you Professor Bullshit? In the mean, you can call me that. Yeah, surely okay. I'll put that on my CV. Very good. <laughs> professor Bullshit is Gordon Pennycook. He is the principal author of "On the Reception and Detection of Pseudo Profound Bullshit." Thank you, Professor. My pleasure.
It's 2016, it's a new year, it's a fresh start, and yet there you are with the same old beard, the same old scraggly beard. Or maybe you don't have a beard, maybe you just have a slash on your face. Well, here's what you have to do. You have to stop overpaying for shaving. You have to not go in for those cheap razors. You gotta get a great razor at a great price. I got one, it's Harry's. Harry's is German-engineered five-blade cartridges, no cuts, no burns, quality guarantee, factory direct prices, and they ship right to your door. They never even charge for shipping. They sell their blades at half the cost of the leading brand. Over a million guys have already made the switch. If you have a guy in your life who's face is all cut up or paying too much for razors, sign them up for this, right? Why are you throwing $32 away on an eight pack of blades when you could get them for half the price? Here's this amazing deal. For $15, this is for new people who are new to Harry's or if you want to sign up your husband, your boyfriend, the guy you know who needs a shave. For $15, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream and three blades. They don't like to discount because their prices are already low, but they've worked out this special offer. $5 off your first offer with the promo code GIST. Stop paying for a great shave and start the new year right. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter code GIST at checkout. And now the spiel. What valuable balls. Powerball. It's an institution that should bring the left and the right together. What, in glee, in speculation, in hope? No, in condemnation. To the rich, the lottery, it's a circumvention of hard work. To conservative Christians, it's godless gambling. To libertarians, it's a reward for doing nothing. To the poor, it represents, well, think progress says it's a tax on the poor. And in fact, Fox Business Channel's Stuart Varney agrees. I think it's a lousy deal. The best way of taxing poor people, I don't like it. And you say? No. It's not a tax on the poor, it's a tax on stupid people. But it's not even a tax. You have to pay a tax. You don't have to play Powerball. Furthermore, I played last time for $2. And for $2, I got much more than $2 worth of excitement and speculation and tuning into my local ABC affiliate at 10.58 Eastern Time, exactly. But I foolishly, perhaps, want to help you win the Powerball. I want to give you the best tips for winning. So there are 69 numbers to pick. There used to be fewer than 69, but now there are 69. And here's a sentence I came across. If you opt to pick your own numbers, you might want to include 8, 54, 14, 39, and 13. These numbers are the most frequently drawn numbers, according to an ABC News analysis of past winning Powerball tickets. Oh, my God. That ABC did the analysis and proudly branded it as an ABC News analysis. There is no reason that any number comes up more than any other number. What about the amount of paint on the ball, weighing it down? Well, if that's true, heavy paint numbers like 58 and 38 would get weighed down and not come up a lot. That's just not the case. Look, 11 doesn't even come up more than 38. One doesn't even come up any more or less than 38, and one has a lot less paint on it. All right, there's only one real strategy to do well at Powerball, because all the numbers are random. It's not having to share your prize, which is why the Unitarians hate Powerball also. So what you want to do is when you win and it's all random, just have fewer other people win so you get to keep all the money, right? Like Daffy Duck with the pearl. So to do this, here's my advice to you. First of all, don't pick any numbers 
under 31. I'll say 31 or under. Avoid all the 31 and under numbers. Why? Because those are people's birthdays. Those are people's anniversaries. They pick those numbers. You're going to share your prize with people who pick those numbers. Now, I was thinking about 13 for a second. Maybe 13 is the exception. Maybe I thought people would shy away from 13, making it attractive to you. No. I think 13 still attracts people. It still attracts risk takers. It still attracts people who've recently gone through a bar mitzvah. All right. So now we've narrowed our choices from 32 to 69. Let's start at the top. We got to eliminate 69 because... 69, dudes! Bill and Ted still hold cultural sway. You know, for instance, that Keanu Reeves is definitely picking that number. Don't pick 68 because that's the Prague Spring. All the Czechs love 68. Hockey playing Czechs wear 68 all the time. Don't pick 67. That's a summer of love. A lot of ex-hippies remember the summer of love. And then I started listening and doing some research on who's won the Powerball. Listen to this clip. 49-year-old Jimmy Groves is the latest winner of the New York Mega Millions, and he will be taking home $168 million. And then there's this lady. Uh, about 6.30 at night, I stopped get my coffee and... She was the 50-year-old winner of the $310 million Powerball. So listen to those ages, 49, 50. The average Powerball winner is in their late 40s and early 50s, which means they're not going to pick their age. They're going to pick the year they were born. So this pretty much knocks out 66 all the way down to 60. All right, let's go to 59. You're not going to want to pick 59. In amateur radio, 59 is a perfect signal report. Not a lot of people know this, but all your ham radio enthusiasts will be picking it. 58? Well, let's listen to Patrick from SpongeBob. 58 is like the luckiest number ever. A lot of people watch SpongeBob. A lot of people believe Patrick. 57, all those Chevy enthusiasts, the 57 Chevy, car nuts, they're going to be picking 57. 56, that was the DiMaggio hit streak. You want to stay away from that. 55, Sammy Hagar fans flock to 55. You don't want to share with them. 54, Oregonians, 54, 40 or fight. You're also going to want to take out 40. You know, if President Polk said it, forget it on the Powerball. 53, 53 is good. I think 53 is a live number. Remember that. 52, way too many cultural associations with 52. 52 cards in a deck. The B-52s, even if neither of these occur to someone picking their numbers, they might start humming rock lobster, then think of the B-52s. 51 seems fine to me. 50, all the Hawaiians pick 50, right? Hawaii 5-0. That particular choice is lousy with Hawaiians. 49, a lot of people go for the square numbers. Also knocks out 36. 47, 47 Ronin. You got your Asian film enthusiast picking that one. 46, that was the number worn by Cleveland Brown favorite Lou the Toe Groza. So you don't want a lot of overlap with Lou the Toe Groza fans. 45. I have no truck with 45. 44, numbers worn by Hank Aaron and Reggie Jackson. A lot of fans of those guys. They pick 44. 43, well, George W. Bush was president 43. Remember, 43, and his dad was 41, and that's what they called themselves. Also, throughout 41, you still got Bush fans abounding. 42, no way. You ever read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? That's the answer. That's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And even if that's not the answer, and you didn't know that, remember this song? Yeah, that was by level 42. 41 mentioned George W. Bush. 40, Oregon. Ba- also, a lot of lyrics include 40, drinking a 40, easy E. Thirty-nine. Are you crazy? Thirty-nine is the sum of consecutive primes. Three plus five plus seven plus eleven plus thirteen. Got to stay away from thirty-nine. 
38. Well, did you know same-sex marriage got legalized in Canada by Bill C-38? So you're not going to want to be sharing this prize with all those Canadian gays. 37. I, I can't find the problem with 37. 37's live. 36, we already knocked it out. It's a perfect square number. 35, the age required to be president. People aspirational. Presidencies in the air. Stay away. 34. Don't think of it as 34. Think of it as 3-4. And it's mentioned in like a quarter of all songs. Here, let me play one. One, two, three. One, two, three, four. People will be humming that song. Pick 34. Don't pick it. 33. What? That's like one of the best Shakespeare sonnets. Full many a glorious morning I've seen. All the Shakespeare fans are picking that. 32, which is, of course, the freezing point of water in Fahrenheit. So you're going to be going up against all your skaters, all your ice fishermen, beverage enthusiasts everywhere. So we've knocked out most of the numbers. And I think that we can decide that your winning Powerball numbers, if you don't want to share it with anyone are 37, 59, 45, 51, and 53. Now, is this possible? Can you have all numbers that high? Sure. I direct you to just in November, the winning numbers were 37, 47, 50, 52, and 57. How about that? Wait a minute, Mike. What about the Powerball number? And this is where I can't give it to you. Because if you do play these numbers, I fear you might share it with other GIST listeners. So you have to pick your own Powerball number even though it's going to be eight. And that's it for today's show. Producer Andrea Salenzi says the State of the Union is dope. Executive producer of Slate Podcast, Steve Lichtai, asserts that the State of the Union be bitchin'. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of Panoply, states that the State of the Union is all that and a bag of chips. The gist, we firmly believe that the State of the Union is Ohio. It's very demographically representative. Umpuru depuru du Peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>